Back in World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th in Gleason today for another OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and with me today is Darka Dusty, who is a singer, songwriter, pianist, accordionist, producer, and with her husband, Miri Stavivka, run Miri Photo, a commercial photography company known for their photos of musicians. She was previously one half of Darka and Slavko, which was a duo known for performing Ukrainian music. She was one of the founders of the Volva Underground, known around here for their name, first of all, and for their all-female musical tributes to people like Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Simon, and Garfunkel. She's brash, funny, and talented. Before we started rolling, she did an impression of both Rocky and Bullwinkle, at which point I turned on the recorder. Ladies and gentlemen, Darka Dusty. Did a Rocky and Bullwinkle routine. You've just started the interview with that, right? Yes. <laughs> Smooth, Tom. Could would you mind repeating that for history's sake? Oh my God! Watch, hey Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat again. That trick never works. This time for sure. <laughs> Must have been the wrong hat. Something like that. There are not a lot of people who know Rocky and Bullwinkle routines verbatim. Yeah, well, that's a sad statement about me, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I could I could sing you uh, many theme show song, really songs from the seventies. Yeah, don't ever put me in a in a in a trivia quiz with seventies theme show as the theme because I'll win. So you're constantly on the lookout for 70s TV theme song show theme song karaoke. I'm not on the lookout. It's just it's just they gone into my you. brain. They find you. Yeah, don't they, they just went into my brain. They do. They find In fact, you. one of the dumb things that my partner Mary and I do is uh, when we're jamming, we do a mashup of Gilligan's Island uh-huh. theme song yeah. with King Crimson's "The Court of the Crimson King." <laughs> Somehow we mash, mash those two up. It's very effective for those who know what they are. <laughs> like, why in the hell would those two things belong together? Well, why not? Why not? I ask you, why not? Uh, uh, what's your favorite? My favorite song? No, your favorite TV theme. Oh, gee, well... I like stumping people, but I, I always thought that um, the Gillian Zalin one was good. And uh, yeah. um, I like stumping people with a, a very specific theme song. Oh. And only people who grew up in the very, well, I, I watched the reruns, but this was on in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh-huh. But I'll sing a little and maybe someone will write in. <clears throat> I can give you the answer, or you can keep it as a as a quiz. <laughs> no, you have to say now. <laughs> a family affair with Brian Key. Really? Remember that show? No. Yeah, and Sebastian Cabot. Anyway, it was Sebastian just Sebastian Cabot. Yeah, these are these. Are, this is really old. And then there's. Well, that that I know. What? 
my three stops. Oh, good. See, some yeah. people think it's something else. Anyway, I've just got this vast <laughs> amount of useless musical information in the way of theme songs. Sebastian Cabot. <laughs> and you know, I think he? he was probably a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> think about it. You know? Yeah. Don't you think? You think sure. Oh, they mostly of... were back then, weren't they? <laughs> no, just Sebastian Cabot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. Oh, boy. That's going to change the way I look at that show for you. <laughs> oh, good. Time for bed, children. <laughs> boy, that wasn't long before this interview degraded into something bad. <laughs> bad? Bad, you say? <laughs> I don't know about that. That's like, uh, it's, it's, it's you. It's your fault. I know. It's, it's your true. fault. You, you, A little you, caffeine and see what happens. I know. Well, you know, uh, when, when we did that thing at the Stardate Tavern, you brought out the worst in me. I did? What did I say? Well, you said, we're, I said, I'd like to read something. You said, sure. And I went over there and, and grossed everyone out with, with the grandma turns pet dog inside out looking for lost lottery ticket. <laughs> well, I'm afraid that's a reflection on what you decided to... Uh... It was your show. <laughs> <laughs> so I see. I see. But it's yeah, okay. Yeah, I do. I do it's bring okay. out the, the nasty in some people. Well, I told so. you what happened, didn't I? When I was on stage that reading day? that? No. Um, or maybe you did. I, I don't recall. I, I, so I started reading it because I, had, I didn't review it. And it was the first chapter of my book. And Grandma turns pet dog inside out looking for lost lottery ticket, okay? About as gross as it gets. And I'm standing there reading it because I wanted to see if it, if it, uh, it still got laughs. So I'm reading it, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the laughs. It's getting laughs. I'm happy about that. But as I got further into it, the, little, the voice in the back of my head uh, uh, spoke to me while I was performing it saying, I don't remember this being this fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lot more fucked up than I remember. <laughs> That's what happens when you let your, when you, when you turn off your internal editor. Yes. You know, and you just let things flow. Because that's very difficult as a writer or musician yeah, yeah. To, uh, to not stop things as they're trying to come out. Cause I know. It's well, it's okay. I mean, you know, it was published. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just had forgotten just how far I went in those days. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. that's really good. Are you still doing anything over there? I know I got sold. I'm not, no. He turned uh, it more into like a pretty traditional, typical kind uh, of bar with sports on the telly and stuff uh, like that. I think he still does things that are more, um, they're just not as, it's, it's not as much of a musical place anymore. We're talking about Starday on Foster, but there's, yeah. there's other places. Uh, Starday's still a really cool bar. There's other places right there that are cool. There's a new bar. I forgot what it's called. I think is it used to be the Gemini, uh, but now it's something else. But yeah, uh -huh. there's there's music venues over there. Yeah. Yeah. Portland's changing like crazy. You can't keep up with it. I know. It's like not as weird anymore. Yep. Not as weird. I ran into Extremo the Clown the other day. Really? And he doesn't drive around in his crazy car with his little puppets yelling out the window anymore. He stopped doing it. Yeah. It was so disappointing. It was so dis like, cause, oh, yeah. <laughs> I want my old Portland back. <laughs> right? I know. Yeah. I know. And then I heard, I heard uh, what's the, 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 the two on Portlandia? Yeah, they just did an Old Navy the commercial. Old Navy commercial. 
That's well, it. get the fuck out of town. That's just just get in. out of town. They jumped the shark a long time ago. But yeah, I now know they, that. They go back ho- go home. Again. Go back. Go back to. Go back to Washington and go back to wherever the hell you can't fuck. I'm not happy. Too many of my friends are being evicted or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's the same exact recipe as what happened, and it's still happening in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. It become it's so cool to start with that it attracts all these people who want, who are just generally uncool and they want to be cool by association. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they move in, right? And then they're like, you know, they basically take up all the great. Yeah. apartments and then they yeah. raise the rents and then it right. becomes too much for them and then they move to Portland and they take our houses and then they yeah. and then we have to move to uh, what Gresham no where, where are we all going to move then I don't know Vancouver I guess <laughs> Vancouver Washington yeah. yeah yeah I heard there's a lot of empty buildings in Vancouver BC because of the global oh really yeah there's a lot <laughs> of uh, there's a lot of global companies that would rather just sit on a building than rent it for less uh-huh. what they think it's worth uh-huh. so there's a lot of empty storefronts and empty apartments places like vancouver british columbia and london uh-huh. just like these billionaire russians and billionaires all around the world they just buy up these apartment buildings yeah. if they can't rent it for the for the 12 grand a month that they want then they'll just leave it empty <laughs> they would prefer to do that uh-huh. yeah it's pretty pretty crazy it looks like i might have to move back to detroit where i was born oh no i'm just kidding i'm not going oh, okay. to but I'm, <laughs> but that's just it just seems like that's the way it's going because where yeah. the hell do artists go yeah when yeah. they're muscled out of their own cool town like portland or right. san francisco or new york right, right. where do they go they got to go to places that you know they need they need the life like detroit needs the life yeah and they come in there and they're gonna make it cool again and there's all this like urban farming stuff going on and mm-hmm. housing is affordable. They don't have many supermarkets or traffic <laughs> lights, but um, you know, who really needs that if you really? have art? <laughs> Do you get back there much? No, not since my mother moved to Portland a year ago. I haven't gone back very much, no. Yeah. Nope, no. Nope. Is there anything you miss about it? I miss uh, some of the people that I grew all up right, with. Yeah. Yeah. I miss, I miss the edginess. Yeah. I miss the people. Yeah. I miss East Coast. I, I lived in New York City for 11 years right. too. Right. I miss East. I miss East Coast directness. Yes. And unsubtleness. Right. Because the passive aggressive thing in the Pacific Northwest is getting me down. <laughs> it's getting me down. It's like, you know, it's just say what you mean. You know, just <laughs> say it. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> people are like, yeah, you know, uh, we were. Uh, we want to have a photo shoot. Um, my partner, Miri, and I have a photo company. Yeah. We want to have a photo shoot, and my buddy's going to do it. But uh, in case he can't make it, could, could you do it? <laughs> like, that's how it's like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, why don't, why don't we uh, ask your third buddy first, and we'll come in fourth. <laughs> I don't know. It's just this weird little sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. And this is why I rub people the wrong way. I'm pretty direct. It's like... You have schmutz on your shirt, tell you know, me, instantly. <laughs> Glad me. to meet I, you. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's it's weird, um, uh, but yeah, this this time of year is my worst. This is my worst. This is nightmare for me. This Seasonal time of affective year. disorder disaster. Yes. Yeah, who the hell knows the what's thing going is, on? Well, the thing is, though, with the light we're, we're, and the we're coming sadness. up on the we're coming up on the solstice. And th- that's that. That is for me. Is like okay, the worst is over. After the solstice. Yeah. Yes, because you the psychologically day, the, think yes. there's extra minutes of light every day. The day after the solstice 
is uh, it's going to be just as dark oh, yes. and just as dreary. Not up here. No. no I'm with you. No. I feel the exact same I, way. I've always been that way about um, spring training, baseball spring training. Yeah. Every year in Baltimore, it, no matter if there was three feet of snow on the ground, on the first day of spring training, winter was over. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter what the weather was. Exactly. So. It could be snowing. Yeah. Well, for me, that that light thing, I mean, it's pretty bad for Miri and me because we live this strange little vampire rock and roll lifestyle Yeah. where we go to bed at like four or five in the morning. Wow. Yeah. And so that means we wake up, you know, noon or oh, one. Geez. And then there is, by the time we have breakfast at two, <laughs> there's all of, you know, an hour of light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, so the dog's just confused all the time. And, <laughs> you know, and then I go outside and I have my eyeballs open for an hour really wide. And then, right. And then if it's raining, forget it. There's just going right. to be days where we don't get out of our pajamas because we're, right. we're just working in front of the computer. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. body gets confused and vitamin D barely keeps us alive and stuff like that. Vitamin, I've forgotten the vitamin D. Yeah, that's Why? a good thing to take in the winter. I should get some of that stuff. Yep. When you don't have <laughs> enough sun, yeah. It helps with the fighting. Yeah. Now, what does that do to creativity for you? Well, creativity, I kind of really like being up in the middle of the night, to be honest. It feels like me and the just, you know, some some I don't know it just feels like I'm the only one awake and mm -hmm. there's a peacefulness about being up at three four in the morning uh -huh. it just feels like there's no there's less psychic noise in the air uh -huh. even though I'm still doing the same thing as anybody else doing it at two in the afternoon mm -hmm. if you're working in front of a computer that is um, but it does screw things up for when you want to have a photo session or like when a client wants to have a photo session or a rehearsal early in the day yeah that's really a problem, yeah. you know. Yeah. Someone's like, yeah, I want to do a big photo shoot. I can meet you tomorrow at 9 o'clock. Let's talk about it. I'm like, well, you know, this is not going to happen. So it puts us out of the running for morning stuff. Oh. And anybody who knows us well knows not to try to even have breakfast with us. <laughs> this is why when you were saying, I can do 12.30 or 2 o'clock, oh. and I'm like, is that the latest you got? Because <laughs> I rolled out of bed to come to see you today. <laughs> So what do you say to a band who says, "Hey, you know, I, I know a nice brick wall uh, that we could we could we could we, we could stand in front of for I know." I know. But, uh, yeah, let's get some train tracks in there, and you'll be all set. <laughs> <laughs> the brick wall and train tracks band yeah, shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at this point, <laughs> I want to do a photo shoot that's the most cliche band photo shoot ever. <laughs> Brick wall, graffiti, train tracks, solemn and hard, you know, snarky expressions, you know, someone smoking a cigarette, of course. Yeah, just like, I don't give a fuck kind of facial expression. Thousands that's, that's and the way. thousands and thousands, <laughs> yes, yes, the dandies on the cover of Oregon Music News. I had, awesome. I had nothing I to do, them. I had nothing to do with that. Well, Zia is a really lovely friend and I love her and yeah. we've we've done some photography for those guys but you know thousands of, I've seen thousands upon thousands of band photos where no one's smiling well because you just got to be cool how can you be cool when you're smiling oh I don't smile know. for Christ's sake that's what I sometimes think yeah. it's really hard to get a smile from people if they want to be 
if they want to be Sullen. hardcore. Yeah. Sullen. It's really hard. But you know what? We, we just, we don't really try to make people go in that direction if they don't want. But we do get playful with them, and, and sometimes they'll, you know, turn it up a little bit. Yeah. Note to musicians. Smile once in a fucking while. No, here's a better note. I would like to actually go on record with this particular note. Okay. When you are performing live, and if you hire a photographer to photograph you, for example, even, even if you don't, it helps when you make expressions and kind of go a little out of your way to mug for the camera mm -hmm. or even just to mug for the audience. It's a better show. I see too many static performers out there just glued to the mic. Mm -hmm. And that little bit of a... Well, it's safety. It's safety, but it's a little bit like too cool for school. I can't, yeah. I can't move out of this two-foot zone. Right. And it's just not that interesting in photographs. So I'm strictly speaking from a photography point of view because yeah. as a performer also, I, I perform also as well as photography, I, I glue myself to that microphone. I, yeah. and, then, and then I realize like during a solo or something, I'll try to move around a little or make more facial expressions. But believe me, if you're making an effort, the photographer notices. Yeah. And if you're like part of a group and you're like really giving it, mm -hmm. that's where the camera wants to go. It just wants to follow the action. So if there's no action and you're kind of static in front of the mic, then the first five minutes the photographer's there, his job is done. And there's really not much more he can do other than take the same picture a hundred times over. Again. Yeah, right. So there's, what? you know. I just think I'm, I, we're trying to push the creative envelope and just do weirder stuff and more interesting stuff because yeah. I, get, I get tired of seeing the same photograph over and over again. So we, we try really hard to do something different. What, what is the politically correct way of saying, how about giving us a smile? <laughs> They're politically correct. I mean, there's nothing, I don't know, just like, like give it to me. I don't know, just like. We, Lighten we up. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, we do try to make people laugh because Good. fake smiling is worse than no smiling. <laughs> so I'm, I'm usually making jokey <laughs> remarks or, you know, or with children, you can make fart noises and they laugh, but with Very adults, true. it's not Very so true. easy. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Some children. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean adults. Yeah. I think adults also laugh, laugh at fart, fart jokes. <laughs> adults always laugh at fart jokes. What are you talking about? <laughs> No, I mean like sound effects, you know. Like yes, that's, that's, that's of course, of course they're gonna. They're gonna did that make it. anyone laugh? I don't yeah, know. I, I, I that, that was actually a real fart. That was not even. <laughs> I, I literally just farted, right here. I'm throwing away the uh, headset. When yeah. We're done here. Well, the fart didn't come anywhere near the headset. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, you have uh, brought with you a a a compact disc. Yeah, it's a device that they used to use in the yeah, 90s. I remember. For, I remember that. It was supposedly going to last forever. That was the <laughs> that was the PR. And we were never going to buy that album again once right. we bought it on CD. Yeah, yeah. matter of fact, let's just, let's just buy <laughs> CDs of all the LPs we have. Yeah, and let's throw away the LPs throw away and the then LPs. buy them again Right. <laughs> at Millennium Music or wherever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So that's, that's a two-point font that you're looking at. You'll never be able to read it. I can read it. <laughs> I have, I've, I had, if I had eye surgery, I can read it. Oh, really? So what are these things on here? Um, I, just, I just put this little CD together because I, there had been too many times at gigs where people were like, do you have any CDs? And 
all I have is old stuff. So I wanted to put together at least some of the later, latest recordings that I've made. So there's some studio recordings in there. There's also live recordings. And there's also demos. Like I, mm -hmm. I did some vocal demos just for people before gigs, you know, because I like to do three, four-part harmony stuff. And, um, you know, if I'm going to get background singers, then I usually like to be pretty specific about the harmonies that I want them to sing. So I, I literally put two of those things on there, like my little three-part harmony demos. So it's just barely any guitar, and then me three times over. <laughs> I just love overdubbing. I just, I've had a studio fetish since I was 14, 15, when I got my first Fostex multi-track recorder, uh -huh. sorry, four-track recorder. <laughs> and you know, it was just so much fun. Yeah. Just because yeah. I was always a harmonizer, like ever since uh -huh. I was a kid. Uh -huh. So the minute I got that machine, man, I was just doing these, everything had three-part harmonies, everything. So there'd be one track of keyboard yeah. backup yeah. and then three-part harmonies. And oh. then I would bounce them and then add more stuff. And then I'd, and then, you know, of course the fidelity would end up being horrible yeah. after you bounce it seven time, times. Right. But then I got, you know, the Tascam. And, oh, then, yeah. and then eventually my ex-partner and I owned a studio. Mm -hmm. And then we went from, we recorded out like full albums on an eight track cassette format at one point. And it sounds great. You'd, 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 it'd be hard to believe that it sounded good because it's a cassette. So it's like, you know, all of a quarter of a centimeter away. Yeah, wow. But it still sounds good. Uh -huh. um, and then we moved up to a two inch analog Otari. Yeah. You know, real to real, and then eventually uh, we broke up, and he went digital, as he promised never to do, but he did. But that's okay. Yeah. So, did someone teach you harmony? No. I mean, that's that is. Uh, I think it's kind of an osmosis thing if you grew up in a musical family the way I did, uh -huh. because there was music constantly going yeah. in my family. So, yeah. besides being on the stereo. Uh -huh all the time we would you know classical records or ukrainian records because my parents were born in ukraine uh or just you know gypsy music or whatever jesus christ superstar or you never know i mean like yeah. my sister and brother were uh, eight and nine years older than than i so uh. they they turned me on to things like you know queen and night at the opera uh -huh. so i had those kind of records going when i was a really little kid and yeah. you know heart you know so uh -huh. Between my sister and my mom and I, we would sing three-part harmony songs, and I was in choirs from the age of five. So instantly, as a, as a child going to school, I was in choirs. So nobody taught you these with notation? I did learn notation because I also took 10 years of piano. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. but I didn't learn how to read music very well because my ear was so strong. It was so strong uh -huh. that I could actually fool my piano teacher into thinking that I was looking and reading the notes, but really what I was doing is copying the way she just played it five minutes before. <laughs> so I would, I would learn classical pieces by ear by watching her and by just kind of barely looking at the notes. And I knew where yeah. C was and every good boy does fine and uh -huh. just basic stuff. And if I sit there for a while, I can read it, but um, I cannot sight read for the life of me. I can. I could do charts really well, but I can't sight read classical music the way I should after 10 years of classical music training. Mm -hmm. I can't. Mm -hmm. I'm, my ear was just too powerful. So is there, so is, is there something on here we could uh, 
demonstrate this uh, harmony? Yeah, actually, let me, let me tell you a good song for that. It would probably be, I think, one of two. The first song is called Batwing, and I put three-part harmonies in that. That's a really cool one. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an original, and that's, that's, I wrote the music and lyrics, but my partner Miri wrote the original chords mm -hmm. when he got a new mandolin. Um, I think that would be a really good one. I and mean, then there's other ones that I have in here, like a demo. I put a very nice little demo together of a Ukrainian traditional song called The Willow Board. And this is a very powerful um, style of singing. Uh -huh. It's kind of like mountain voice, or uh, sometimes they call it primitive voice. Mm -hmm. So I'm using a very big, big part of my vocals uh -huh. in here. So that's a really you cool wanna one. You want to do that one? You know, if you want something really different, that's cool. Yeah, bat, okay. Batwing is an original. That well, let's just, let's just li listen to Batwing. That's cool. you something I'm an idiot I want you to know that, that I'm was an a statement I'm an idiot okay <laughs> so and, and especially about the geography of different parts of the world oh no is there any relation to the kind of mountain singing to tuvan throat singing uh, no there isn't because okay. that's really far away but um, I do know what that is because I read um, Surely You Must Be Joking, Mr. F Feynman, and Richard Feynman was, um, do you know who that is? He was, um, he was an astrophysicist, uh -huh. um, and he was also many, many, many things. He was an author, he was a scientist, he was, he was on the panel of the 1986 um, Challenger uh, when the Challenger exploded in uh -huh. 1986. He was on the panel to investigate why it exploded. He was a very unconventional person. And uh, Richard Feynman, F-E-Y-N-M-A-N, brilliant human. And while they were sitting there on that panel, the government panel, to figure out what happened to that space shuttle, he had with him an O-ring from the actual equipment around the uh, Challenger that was, um, he, he put the O-ring in his ice water during the panel discussion and by the time the conversation came around to him, he took the O-ring out of the ice water and cracked it against the table and it shattered and he basically made this very, very big yeah. point that this is what happened to it. The O-rings were not resilient enough right. 
to get, you know, to move out of the atmosphere and they froze and, and that's why the shuttle exploded. Uh -huh. But besides all of that brilliance that he had, he was also fascinated with different cultures and he was a, 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 a drummer, a, a world music drummer and he had, he did drumming for ballets, for modern ballets. And he had um, a passion for Tuvan throat singing. Yeah. <clears throat> and he was studying it. <clears throat> this is in the 80s. So the Soviet Union had not yet, you know, right. broken up. Um, and he was trying very hard to get a visa to get there. And he really wanted to visit uh, Tuva, yeah. which is like in this very, very hard to reach area, way deep in Siberia somewhere. Outer Mongolia. Yeah, Outer Mongolia. That's yeah. what it is. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and but he got cancer and he never made it, but his protege did. Yeah. And his protege actually finished the book that he was writing, or yeah. maybe he even wrote the whole book about it. Uh, but that's how I know about Tuvan throat yeah. singing. Tuvan throat singing is a different thing. It's like yeah. it's like. Oh yeah, we 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 have had Soraya <laughs> in here. Yeah. You know our great Tuvan throat singer who is very well known in Tuva. Splits his time mm -hmm. between going to Tuva and driving a cab in Portland. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seriously. Well, the mountain singing is more like using full, full voice. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's where you, you know, uh, my voice as I'm speaking right now yeah. sounds like I couldn't possibly sing. Yeah. But a lot of singers have this where their yeah. speaking voices, I mean, if you remember the way Whitney Houston used to talk sure. and, and various other singers, it's um, this, this range of where my vocal cords, it, it's, it's a little dodgy sounding. But once I start singing, it's a completely different part of my um, vocal mm -hmm. cords mm -hmm. and also I'm using a lot of my diaphragm yeah. and so mountain singing or what I call that is basically using that real big support of your diaphragm and it could shatter glass like I sound yeah. like I couldn't have possibly have any power and I also have really bad lungs oh I just I just grew up with asthma and I used to smoke and that's not good <laughs> and I quit many years ago but I um when I sing this way, the, in, the, in that mountain singing, in that, um, that willow board song that I uh -huh. was talking about, people often think like, wow, you've got such great lungs. And it's funny because I totally do not. Like, uh, I'm getting ready for a gig right now Yeah. on December 10th. This will probably air in January or something, right? Uh, it'll be in uh, the week after next. Well, the gig I'm doing is January or December 10th. <clears throat> it's a Christmas party, holiday party. And one of the songs I'm doing is the Hollies, the air that I breathe. Uh huh. Yeah. So there's this one line, you know, all I need is the air that I, and I got to take this big, big, big breath <laughs> before I say the word breathe because yeah. that next note goes lasts long, for like a half time. a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I go, all I need is the air that I breathe. <laughs> you know, just keep going and going and going and going and going. But I, ha but I have to take a breath in a bad spot because I don't have good lungs. Ah. It's either, either that or I'm going to go, air that I breathe. <laughs> I'll be just be doing that. And I'll just <laughs> 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 you know, you know. So is, are, are, when you say mountain singing, are you, is there a particular mountain range that you're talking about? Well, um, in my case, yeah. with the Ukrainian culture, it would be the Carpathian Mountains. Uh -huh. And there's a group of people that live there called the Hutzels. 
and that mountain range extends into Romania, and there's just a lot of cross-musical culture going on uh -huh. with all of that, and a lot of Ukrainian music has a lot of similarities to klezmer, uh -huh. and you know, it's just very similar. And even like if you've ever heard the Bulgarian choir, uh -huh. uh, the, the, the mysterious Bulgarian women's choir that became so famous in the 80s, they use that really very, very powerful singing. But they also have microtonal music, so where we have 12 notes in a scale, yeah. they'll have like, you know, double. So <laughs> I will hear a, a half note, and that's about all the room, like from mm -hmm, that's a half note, yeah. half tone. They'll, they'll have one extra one in there between <laughs> those two notes. Wow. Yeah, and their voices reflect that. So it's really very hard if you grow up in a, you know, with a 12-note scale. Yeah. You, you just basically, you can hear it, but it's very hard to make your, make your voice do that huh. if you don't grow up doing that. You know? So, yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, similarities with the music in that part of the world. You know? yeah. hmm. I wonder if Mickey Katz ever played in the Carpathian Mountains. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is there a Grossinger's in, in the Carpathian Mountains so they can have I some cluster? <laughs> Oh, is this a little too obscure? Am I getting too obscure here? For me, yeah. Do yeah, you see okay. the question marks over my head? Yeah, I did, yeah. I did, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just going to look Mickey, over here and pretend Mickey I didn't Mickey Katz hear was a very famous uh, um, Jewish klezmer comedian singer. Oh, right. Band leader. Okay. Yeah. Very so probably upstate New York, Borschtfeld. Very, kind of like, very, yeah. very, very, very funny. Yeah. Very funny. Anyway. From the Catskills to the Carpathians. Something like that, yeah. 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 Sure. Just, I could just see. I've been yeah. to Mohawk Resort. I, can, I know what you're talking about. I can, <laughs> uh, I can just see Henny Youngman in the Carpathian Mountains yeah. in full costume. <laughs> Take my wife, please. Please. Take her goat, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> All wives come with goats, apparently, in my, in my world. In your world. I, I've never had a wife who had a goat. <laughs> I've had wives who've gotten mine, but... <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> nicely done. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so uh, uh, your st what, what, say, what percentage of your uh, creative life is still involved with, with uh, Ukrainian music? Now? Um, yeah. You know, 10%. Ah. Yeah, we just throw them in when we do gigs occasionally. Um, because people love them so much. Yeah. Do you miss it? Uh, I miss recording regularly with my partner. That was really yeah. great. We did yeah. many albums. Yeah. So that was always a big deal. And we probably recorded, the effort that we put into our recording was greater than the amount of um, live shows we did. We would perform occasionally and big performances, but not like where we would just do this slog of every weekend kind of stuff. We would yeah. do like special appearances yeah. a handful of times a year where we uh -huh. would get paid a lot of money. But basically, we just kept it to a trickle uh -huh. to keep it special. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the hard part if you, in this town especially, if you want to make a living in this town, if you oversaturate uh, yourself and you want to still keep doing music right here in Portland, you know, you can't play for free all the time and then want your same peeps to come out and when you have a $20 gig, you know, it's really, it's a, it's like a, it's like a tricky situation, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think that it means you either have to play less often mm -hmm. and 
especially if you have people that you really rely on to keep coming to your gigs you know yeah. you yeah. want to keep yeah. reinventing yourself um, so we didn't we didn't do that we didn't do a slog or you know like these long tours where you're just out there for like weeks and weeks on end mm -hmm. we just did special appearances made them really special mm -hmm. put big bands around together for these things mm -hmm. but we never had a we had a band for one period of our musical career my ex and I uh, we were called Darka and Slavka mm -hmm. you could actually Wikipedia somebody did a wiki page on us um, but we went to Ukraine in 1989 for the first non-Soviet Ukrainian music festival and we came with that band and boy were we like we were just we really stuck out we really seemed like America I always felt yeah. different growing up like there was this Ukrainian part of me even though I was born in Detroit, there was this yeah. Ukrainian part of me. So with my American friends, uh -huh. I always felt like I had this extra layer of something special that they didn't have. But then when we came to Ukraine for the first time, I really felt like an American. Yeah. I just felt so radically different than everybody else. Huh. But that was, uh, that's, we went there with a band, and that was really special. You said it was, it was big? How many pieces did you have? Uh, well, no, I mean, it was just a five-person band. We, oh, okay. Because, you know, we couldn't afford to bring more than that. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, going from New York to western part of Ukraine, mm -hmm. you know. If somebody gave you a gig tomorrow and they said, you can have unlimited pieces in, the, in your band, what would you have? Oh, I would have a jazz big band. Yeah. I have always wanted to sing with a gigantic yeah. jazz big band. I have a very big jazz side to me. There's a couple songs in there. You'll there's live a uh, couple live recordings from a show. Mm -hmm. I love singing jazz, and I don't do it too often in this town because I would have to really make a look. My persona musically is already confusing enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like people see me doing some country gigs, yeah. Dolly Parton Hoot Night. Then they'll see me doing Billie Holiday. Yeah. Then they'll see me doing my own show with Darka Dusty and the Borscht Beatniks. Yeah. It's like what the hell is this ridiculous woman? You know, and so then I'm, if I throw jazz in there, it'll be so completely confusing. I, I stopped, I really honestly have stopped caring about that because that's who I am. I really love dipping my toes into all these different genres. Mm -hmm. And I've even, when I write about, when I have my little bio thing that I, you know, give people for whatever gigs, I've ter I came up with this, genre, this term genre hopping because that's what I end up doing all the time. I mean, for this holiday show, I'm, I put this band together. We're doing like a bunch of reggae and, you know, other rock stuff. And we're, we're involved. Uh, this is a cannabis, you know, related event. There's a lot of cannabis stuff going on in this town. So this is like this huge party um, being thrown by a women-led uh, cannabis organization <laughs> where basically there's just a whole bunch of entrepreneurial women in this town running these cannabis businesses and they're throwing this epic party wow yeah at the refuge on the tent but um, that's uh, that's open to the public it is it's just kind of pricey it's like a 40 dollar ticket or something wow yeah but it, it's like a membership into the organization as well and there's yeah. going to be these vip gift bags and you're just going to town with this thing gift it, bags yeah gift bags wow like special damn gift bags yeah jeez yeah, so it's crazy fun. And um, anyway, so we're putting together like a bunch of reggae songs. In fact, we're doing a ska version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. <laughs> it's like, mm -ba, 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 you better watch out. You know, it's just, yeah, we're just, we're just giving it all kinds of 
So I don't even know what to say. The only genre you know there, there is there is precedent for that. Oh sure, yeah. There, I, I have a I have an album uh, by one of the originators from Jamaica. It was I guess it's from the fifties, I guess, and it, it's it's kind of it's even pre-ska, you know. It's it's and 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 I didn't really realize what the tune was because I'm stupid, right? And I play it on I played it on the radio, and it was it was it was cool. It was nice to listen to. And somebody called me up and says, "Do you know that was from the Sound of Music?" What was it? I, the goat song. Oh, high on a hill of the lonely goat herd, lay lay lay. Loud was the voice of the lonely goat herd, lay lay do do. Well, I didn't I know go, it. It's okay. not a 70s theme show, but I know that. No, I know no, that. No, no. See, I, 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 I am neither gay nor a woman, so I don't know show tunes. <laughs> oh, that was a movie. That doesn't quite Yeah, it does. Oh, well. yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. It does. And you don't have to be, you could be very macho and love show tunes, believe yeah, okay. me. I uh, am. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm neither gay nor a woman either. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> So anyway, so the guy calls me up. You know, after do you know that that was oh, oh it really? Oh my God! So there yeah. were, turns out there were several. You can regify just about anything. It's fun. There was a guy named Edmundo Ros, and he had a big Latin band in the fifties. Remember lounge music? Remember when that was that sure. had his little time of mm -hmm. coming back, Esquivel and all that stuff. Brian Denny too, right? Hey, Brian yeah. and Martin Denny. Martin Denny. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Um, and so Edmundo Ros is in that category, and right. and and I got, um, I I was given the collection of a friend of mine's uncle Elky, which included tons and tons of lounge, mint original lounge LPs, and it was several Edmundo Ros, and he could make a Latin tune out of anything. He had. Bessie was my woman now, cha-cha-cha. He had Old Man River as a merengue. That's great. It was, and he did a whole album of, of uh, The Sound of Music with, cool. Latin, uh, with Latin beats. I want to hear it. <coughs> <laughs> I'm going to look it up. That sounds great. I know that, I know that whole um, yeah. soundtrack very well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> Then there's Wizard of Oz. <laughs> uh, no, again, these are all because I watch them on TV. Yeah. That's why I know them. I do not know. I'm not like Broadway oriented or anything. Do you know, do you know all the words to Greece? I know a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Almost all women do. You know that, right? Well. No, it's true. You know. It is my life experience Yeah. that almost all women know the words to every song in Greece. No, I don't know. I don't know it that well. Okay. I just know the ones that I like to sing. Basically, it's whatever I like to sing. I see. You know, hopelessly devoted to you, oh. et cetera. <clears throat> you know who did a great version of that was Storm Large. I'm sure. When she was doing her, her thing at Dante's when she first got here, mm -hmm. she would come out and do that song with an axe in her hand. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that sounds great. It was great. It was so funny. Uh, hopelessly devoted. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, so um, uh, by the way, Greece was written about my high school. Wow. Yes. Really? Yes. That's awesome. Yes, indeed. 
So were you one of the bad kids or one of the good kids? I was. I didn't exist. Did you wear a Letterman sweater or no, or, a, no. or a leather oh, jacket? No, no. Which one were you? I, no, but see, that was that was. Before, <laughs> were you the nerd who was the hall monitor? That was that was a little. Be, <laughs> see, that was a little before my time. Okay. The greasers, um, actually, we never called greasers. We called them drapes. They were called drapes, which is much more sinister. Oh, that's a, a good band name. He's a drape. Oh my God! Look, don't get out of his way. He's a drape. That's going to be my next band, Doctor Dusty and the Drapes. There, there were guys. There would that? be guys, you know, with their hair slicked back and all that, and and high on uh, codeine, <laughs> cough medicine. Oh God, yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, that, I was I was a little younger than that, uh, but um, no, I, I didn't exist in high school. <laughs> That's funny. Except high a couple of times. I got up in front of uh, on on stage at a, at a, a an assembly, and I did I did uh, Bob Newhart's driving instructor routine, which I had memorized. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so it was the first time I got laughs. I was hooked. Yeah. I was hooked. Well, I had a high school experience with the laughter, and yeah. that was uh, I did. I was like a bit of a jokey, you know, cl uh -huh. class clown. But. Um, my you yeah i know <laughs> hard to believe hard to believe i actually went to a ukrainian catholic high school wow. and grade school by force it was a <laughs> it was a college prep school so it was very oriented around math science you know um that kind of thing Whereas I was all about writing and music and creativity and art and those are the things I wanted to pursue and there was none of that for me yeah. except for choir. That's why I was always like the soloist in the choir because that's where I uh -huh. had all my energy. And then when I finally got to 12th grade, there was like this creative writing class so I felt like I was completely liberated yeah. and I couldn't believe I was able to write poetry during school hours wow. and not get busted. Um, <laughs> Well, because I used to do that anyway during algebra. I would just write poetry and look out the window and <laughs> and bemoan my fate and have to be stuck with all these like nerds. But um, but I actually uh, played the male lead in my high school senior play. We had 90% of the kids in my class were boys, and there was only about <laughs> 10 girls. So we had a small class, and none of the guys wanted to play the male lead. So I had the gumption... The teacher's like, come on, we need a lead, somebody, please. We need a male lead, please, somebody. So I raised my hand, I'll go, I'll do it. And the teacher's like, come on, it's a, it's a, it's a male role. I'm like, so I'll wear a suit. So I played the male lead, <laughs> my first time in drag, and since then I've, I've, I've gone in, I guess, I guess you call it drag. Even yeah. If it's, yeah, you do, sure. right? Um, anyway, so I did that. I've done that many times in my life where I go in drag. <laughs> And my grandmother, who was in the audience, did not recognize me <laughs> for two hours. I did the whole method thing. I studied old oh, yeah. Ukrainian men as they <laughs> sat up and walked around and, and, you know, just the things they did, their gestures. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 The principal <laughs> of our school, I would watch him for a couple months, just exactly how he moved. That was all about method <laughs> as a senior. Uh, and strangely enough, that same year, I also was... Um, elected the homecoming queen. <laughs> so let me just reiterate, it was a very small school. <laughs> okay. Well, at least you weren't like the homecoming king. Yeah, right? 
Yeah, homecoming king, queen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll just do both. Yeah. I never got to write hardly anything in, in high school. I was, I was, like I said, I hardly existed. I was in a, I was in a play. Oh, oh one of the most uh, embarrassing uh, experiences in my entire life. Because I, I never went out with girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was just this, I was like, I didn't exist. But I took drama for three years in high school, and they had me do a scene from uh, The Taming of the Shrew in front of the entire school where I had to kiss Kate at the end of the scene. How'd you get her on that? Or did you do it? I had to do it. Yeah? Was that your first kiss? I was so humiliated. Yeah. Well, I had done the stand-up, you know. And, uh, and and then after that, I, I, I had a small part in the importance of being earnest. I can still quote lines from the importance of being oh, earnest. Oh, cool. <laughs> One of the funniest things ever written. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I didn't write. I, and, and I had, and, and you would think in English class, I would have I done well, but I had this teacher who was the sexiest thing that ever walked on two feet. Mm-hmm. She was gorgeous. That sounds strange, you know, on she, two feet. <laughs> We're getting she, back to the goat, aren't we? We are, aren't we? <laughs> the village goat comes back. <laughs> she wore tight sweaters and a bullet bra. Oh. I'm wow. in high, this is, we're all in high school. So I don't remember learning anything from yeah. her. Yeah. Because all I did was sit there and look. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. I didn't start writing until till I got to college. Well, you were a late bloomer. I actually was a late bloomer. Yeah. I think that there's no such thing as like creative peaks. I think you've just got to do it when you feel it. There are creative valleys, however. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's for damn sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although I've never had writer's block. I've never had block. Have you? Uh, It's not so much a block where uh, it's more like you know you have a deadline and you got to have something good and it's not flowing as it should yet. Oh. So you, you haven't found that uh, inspiration yet. Oh. So sometimes I, I just basically, when I have what I, it's not even a block. It's basically um, if I haven't reached a momentum, yeah. then I'll just start writing whatever the hell ah. just. Interesting. I just, I just stream of consciousness, just start writing ah. whatever the hell happens. Mm-hmm. And eventually something good will just start pouring out mm-hmm. and then I can just edit the rest of the bullshit out yeah. later. De- deadlines inspire me. Deadlines are yeah. Im- the most important thing yeah. in my life. Yeah. If yeah. I do not have a deadline, mostly things won't just things won't happen. Yeah. You know, so I sometimes even I mean it, it extends to every part of my life. If the house is a mess, I will invite people over only for the reason that I need to clean the house. <laughs> Not that I want to see those people. Yeah, yeah. It's just that it's the only way I'll get my ass off the couch. No, what, is, what does Thomas Lauderdale say? There's victory in vacuuming. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's deadlines. I mean, deadlines mean everything to me. And even yeah. if I have a month to do something, I will literally just start doing it like a couple of days oh, before. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, it's pretty bad. The same way. Yeah. Now, the, I've, I've never had a block. I've had people block me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. By not not giving me gigs and stuff like that, and right. not having a a, a a place to to put my stuff, and and I did have a big crash, you know, uh, but uh, it wasn't like a block. I blocked myself. Yeah, I love though when you are getting. There's the opposite of a block, and that is a surge, a creative surge. Yeah. Uh, that is really cool. 
because you feel something coming from somewhere else uh -huh. and you're just getting these ideas like fully formed ideas yeah uh and sometimes that's a very exciting place to be and yeah. you can't get it down fast enough yeah. whether yeah. it's a recording yeah so are you and mary muses for each other yeah i believe that's we wonderful. are wonderful yeah that's really wonderful but we um well let's just for a minute about the song batwing it's got a kind of a cool story uh -huh. And what it was, was um, we inherited this mandolin. This mandolin was a, one called Harmony, and it's the same kind that John Paul Jones used in Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. So it's got a very specific shape, and it's got this bat wing cutout huh. on the headstock yeah. and on the pick guard. Okay, so it looks like a bat wing, mm -hmm. right? So Mary got this mandolin, and we were in Mosier around a bonfire, <laughs> and he started playing these cool chords. Mm -hmm. And they were so cool that I immediately got inspired. And yeah. I'm like, okay, you need to give this a name because I want to write something around this. This is too cool to pass up. Yeah. So he goes, well, let's just call it Batwing because <laughs> of that Batwing cutout on yeah. the mandolin, right? Yeah, yeah. So then the next day it was pouring rain and you just couldn't even sit around a fire. So we were staying at a friend's yurt. Um, yurt. And so, you know, there's only one yurt, so there's four people in there, and you can't really get into your own space when everybody's talking. So I went into the car, and I sat there, and I just listened to whatever recording I made of that, those chords. Mm -hmm. And I started with these lines, you know. Uh, a friend of ours, Rose, do you remember Rose Allen? Rose Allen? Yeah, of course okay. I do. This is the first line of the song is about Rose Allen. Really? Do you remember when she dropped out of society and started yes. driving around the country yes, to I blues do. festivals? I do. Well, the first line is about Rose. Rosie <laughs> got into a car. She drove it very far, inventing her new rules, turning minutes into jewels. <laughs> so many nights go by. We dream that we can fly. So get your bat wings on and have some fun or something like that. <laughs> and, and that's what I was like so impressed with her just going, fuck it, I'm dropping out. I want to do exactly this other thing. Yeah. And so I'm going to give up on this career that I've had for 20 years yeah. and I'm going. And I was very inspired by that. So that was the first um, verse. The second one was about someone that I know who basically is um, just this brilliant, hilarious person but she's always been very guarded, and I think she had this rough upbringing, uh -huh. so she really has this perfection orientation, uh -huh. and because of that, she got very, um, just unhealthy and you know uh -huh. large, and just didn't really, um, she's just this one of the, my, my favorite people in, in my life, and uh, anyway, so I, I, I wrote a verse about her, and the third verse was about my mom, who, when she was breaking up with my father, um, who was not a great human. Um, she, my mother was an artist her whole life, but she only started going to school in her late 20s, early 30s uh, for, for art. She became an art teacher for the rest of her life and a, and a very wonderful visual artist. But she studied art, and then she went to Italy for the first time after studying it. So when you see art in books, that's one thing. But then when you go to Rome or Florence and you see these you know, 30-foot-tall Michelangelo sculptures mm -hmm. or 20-foot-tall sculptures. Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming. So she, uh, the third verse is, Mama went to Italy, went to find her liberty. Moses sat there, made her cry, and she finally knew why. She sat and she basically saw the, 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 the sculpture of Moses, Michelangelo's Moses, 
and she fell to her knees sobbing. Wow. And the whole song is about facing your fears. Uh-huh. And I also kept the women as the stars of the three verses. I found out later that in animal um, totem, um, when you study animal totems and animal symbology, when you dream about certain animals and you dream about certain you know, creatures that come into your either dreams or your um, visions, if you dream about certain animals, it means certain things. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have a vision of bats, it specifically means facing your fears. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I've read. And so this was all very synchronistic. When Miri came up with that name Batwing, there was no intention of making it about facing your fears, but wow. then it totally became that through some sort of weird synchronicity or, uh-huh. or uh, uh-huh. whatever you want to call it. And oddly enough, the next time we were at the same yurt, we saw a bat in the middle of the day oh, wow. at like 12 noon, at high noon. Bats don't usually come out that day. No. And Miri took a picture of it um, with his camera up into the sun so you can see all the little bones of the bat you know, around the webbing, the webbing. is So it, we just had this like very strong bat symbology happen to us. And that's kind of what the song ended up being like this kind of girl power song uh-huh. and about facing your fears. And, and it's just, you know, it's a very happy song, but it's, it's really about not letting anything stop you from what you want to do because women are the first to hold themselves down. I mean, society certainly does. And, you know, certain things in our culture keep women down but women do it to themselves as much mm-hmm. and if we I'm, I'm convinced that if women and minorities decided to band together for this next election mm-hmm. we could absolutely drive out the conservative element out of our government if all African Americans all immigrants all women <laughs> and anybody of any minority if we and, and young people if we all decided to vote we can get rid of this male white male, mm-hmm. you know, 1% power structure. Mm-hmm. We absolutely could. So it's about facing that to me. It's about really anything, don't let anybody tell you you can't do anything. And I'm still glad that I believe this at, at my age. I'm still glad that I have this because I've, I've lived it. It's like when I really, really put my mind to something, you know, I'm a freight train. There's pretty much nothing that'll stop me, especially if you tell me that I cannot do it. <laughs> You want me to do something, tell me I can't. That's my philosophy. <laughs> Making a note of that. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to be able to do this, Dorka. Really? All right. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. Why don't we go out on a song? Okay. What, what, what would you like us to go out on? Oh, hell, that's so hard. So when do you think this is going to air? Uh, Before Christmas? Let's see. Next week is uh, Lynn Derrick and then you. Weekend. So before Christmas. Yeah. Let's definitely go with Oh Holy Child. Okay. Oh Holy Child is a very, very uh, obscure Christmas carol. Mm-hmm. And the writers are listed there. You have the, the liner notes uh-huh. now. Um, but it was first recorded by my uh, very favorite singer, Dusty Springfield. Oh. And it was extremely, um, well, it just wasn't popular at all. Yeah. And we recorded it in 2012 after the Sandy Hook shooting. Yeah. And the reason why I think it's so beautiful um, is we were so affected and so sad about that Sandy Hook shooting uh-huh. uh, that I had to put my um, grief somewhere. And this beautiful carol came along, and it's so gorgeous and so melancholy that we just couldn't help ourselves and we recorded it. So I think because of the season, I think that would be a good one 
to go out on. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tom. And it's Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. <laughs>